Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom, I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again talk about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to jump around a little bit. I came across an article in Sweden, written in Swedish. I don't read Swedish, but we have connections in Sweden, and they sent the article to somebody, and that somebody sent it to me, and with the help of Google Translator, I translated the article and found it of interest in kingdom thinking. It shows that there are kingdom tracks all over. They are small tracks. They are not deep tracks. They are few tracks of kingdom in the world today because the world has gone whoring after God's many in order to obtain benefits from benefactors who exercise authority. They are comfortable in that pursuit at this moment in many places. Many people are dying and suffering because of that pursuit. Wars and rumors of wars are around us all the time. Threats of losing everything of value is around us all the time. And we actually have very little of value. Most people in most countries are literally slaves, subjects. I heard somebody talking early, early this morning. I get to download some YouTubes early in the morning when we have the bandwidth to do so. (laughs) And I heard somebody talking about uh, citizens in England and made reference to the Queen likes to call them subjects. Well, the fact is they are subjects and uh, the citizens in America are subjects. And they are all subjects, not because of so much of what the government has done, but what they have done. Conversation with somebody just yesterday who came in and wanted to know, what was this argument that people say, well, we don't have to pay taxes because there is no law that requires that we have to pay income tax unless we are federal employees. And they wanted to know, what the explanation of that was. And I explain that all the time, have for years. And what they were referring to is the 861 argument that was popularized by videos like Freedom to Fascism and and etc. And I thought it was interesting in an abbreviated view of that. They were showing it and you heard them They were showing pictures in the background of laws, you know, kind of drifting by the screen while somebody talked. And they were saying, well, there is no law. And right when they were saying that there is no law, I actually saw the page where the law does exist passing on the screen in the background. You know, I was just reading the pages on my uh, computer screen as I played this. Somebody sent me the 861 argument in this little video. And so I was reviewing it because I have to look at all the bear traps and quicksand and, you know, all the dangers that are in the this uh, labyrinth of uh, of schemes and dreams that people follow trying to seek freedom, and freedom to fascism was one of those great pitfalls. Men went to jail. Good, honest, honorable, intelligent men went to jail because they actually believed there is no law 
that says that you have to pay income tax. And of course, there is a law. And you made it. You made the law. You actually personally made the law. Because contract makes the law. And people claiming, I had long conversations, we're going to do programs on that with individuals about, you know, how the contract makes the law and how, you know, they, they want to dissolve the bands which have connected them with another. But they actually don't want to dissolve the bands because they don't even know what the bands are that has connected them to others. And this is what we're trying to show you. The bands that have connected you, that have bound you, that have made you subject. And what is the law that says that you have to pay income tax if contract makes the law? Well, it's when you applied for a social security number. And the first thing I hear out of people, well, my folks got it for me when I was a kid. So your folks sold you into bondage. They probably deducted you from their income tax and they in order to do that they now didn't used to have to do this you used to just claim the number now you have then you had to give the first name of the person that you were claiming and then eventually you have to give the number of the person that you're claiming because you can only claim people who have social security numbers and so you got a benefit by claiming your children but you were selling them into bondage in our article on call no man father goes through the three steps of that bondage. And when you became of age, you used that number. And you said, well, I had to in order to get a job. Yeah, they that's what they said, that they the, the beast would give a number and that would cause everybody to get that number because of what? If you don't, you'll starve. There were people who got a job in Texas. I've, I've read the case, had it here. I loaned it to somebody, never returned it. <laughs> But it was a fellow in Texas who got a job and he never had a social security number. He was a programmer and he was doing a good job and they liked him. But when the IRS found out about it, they wrote these like almost threatening letters. You may be subject to a fine. And so the company says they want you to get it. And he says, I'm not going to get it because I think it's the mark of the base. I never had a number and you hired me without it. And eventually the company got so frightened it fired the guy frightened by the IRS's letters. And the Equal Opportunity Commission took them to court for wrongful firing because they didn't have any right to fire him because he didn't have the number. And they won the case. They actually didn't win the case. What they do is they settle out of the case. That's what they do is they settle out of the case so that you never see what's really going on. And when you take these things like 861 argument up that well there is no law and they, and they can't figure out why they lose because the courts are cognitive of the facts and somewhere in that court case they will identify you and they will mention your social security number and once you do that then they know you're a member and now that you're a member by contract you applied for a benefit from men who call themselves benefactors but who exercise authority one over the other and this formed a contract. Now you say, well, then I'll just get rid of the number and I, I'll be out of the system. But there's debt involved. You owe money. Everyone, everybody in America owes at least $50,000. That's, that's the low figure. Actually, there's a, 
Another way to calculate that, that it runs up close to $700,000 per person. <laughs> they don't, they don't like to mention that in the news very much. They don't like to mention the $54,000 you owe now. I think it's actually higher than that. I think that's several year old figure. So the fact is you're in bondage. Everybody's in bondage. So what's the solution? Well, this fellow in Sweden, he writes an article and he actually starts talking about the solution. He doesn't even know the problem. He doesn't know anything about all this income tax. But, you know, there in, in Sweden, they pay 70%. Somebody was just, oh, England. Somebody from England was just telling me that the sales tax in England is 20%. <laughs> I live in Oregon here, and Oregon doesn't have sales tax yet. And so... You know, it, it down in California, it, it was seven. I think it's up to nine now. But England is 20%. And it's amazing that sales tax actually is a tax on a tax. You say you, you make a commodity, it costs you $50 to make it. But you have to hire employees. And, of course, you will be taxed. You'll have a matching Social Security tax. and And you have to pay the employee enough to make it worth his while to work there and he's going to have to pay a tax so that you have to pay him more or he won't even come to work he'll just stay on welfare and so everything half you pay him may be taxed 70 percent in some countries 20 percent in others and then there's this social security tax which is national insurance i think in in england it's security insurance national or something in uh, Canada. You know, it comes out to SIN in Canada when you use the abbreviation. But in America, it's the SSN. But anyway, all those are taxes and it increases the cost of the item up to maybe $100 per item now. So now when you pay 20% sales tax on that item, 50% of what you're taxing was already taxed. <laughs> so you're you're taxing the person on the tax that they're paying because the, the person who buys it is actually paying the tax. And then the, there's the greatest tax of all that it just goes almost completely unnoticed. And it's the tax called inflation where your money's not worth as much at the end of the day. So, you know, whether you're in one of these countries that know they're paying 70% tax and they still have inflation. So, in actuality, they're probably paying 80 to 90% tax, <laughs> which is amazing. During the height of Tsarist Russia, the worst that the peasants were taxed was 10%. <laughs> and you're now, you're now getting taxed 70 to 80 to 90% and you don't even know it. And you don't realize, you don't really study this kind of economy that if you didn't have all these taxes, you guys would be rolling in dough and rolling in spare time. <laughs> you could build a great nation. But all that's gone now. Now you're just clinging on and surviving. Fortunately, you have lots of uh, DVDs and cable TV so that you don't even have to go down to the Coliseum to get your free circuses. And free bread, you don't even have to stand in line anymore. You just get an EBT card. But the free bread and circuses that destroyed Rome and the 
and the benefits that destroyed Athens and the democracies of Greece is now destroying every country throughout the world. And those few countries that were not democracy are now rallying with great fanfare that they are now going to be democratic in all dem- democracies. Just a, just a matter of a few decades ago, the literature that you read would tell you that all democracies are absolutely uh, doomed. They're going to fail. Because the people are selfish. And I wrote a number of uh, web pages that are preparing you as preparingyou.com. And I put them up today. And one of them was on Emma Goldman, who is quoted in this article written by Daniel West in uh, Sweden. And the name of the article is Lefsum um Staten inte Fins. And all those who speak Swedish, forgive me. Because <laughs> I don't speak Swedish. And I'm sure my American accent devastated uh, those words. But to translate them into English, it's living as if the state does not exist. And I just noticed on the webpage that we have by that name at Preparing You, you can look up that phrase, living as if the state does not exist. Because I didn't put it in the Swedish, I put it in the English. There's an actual mistake on the page already. I've noticed that. <laughs> I, I do my best proofreading when I'm not actually reading. When I just glance at the page and all of a sudden I see, oh, well, that should not be there. <laughs> so, <laughs> while I am talking to you, I fixed it. <laughs> and now I'm saving it. But anyway, this is the title of his article. And it begins with, that phrase, but his very first quote was from Emma Goldman, and it it says, if voting changed anything, they'd make it illegal. And she was very much against voting, but she was against a lot of things. She was kind of a bitter woman, in my opinion. I've, I, I don't think I've ever seen a picture of her smiling. There's lots of pictures of her on the internet. She was very famous uh, as an anarchist, uh, back in the 20s up into uh, even World War II. I think she died in 1940. Uh, She had a stroke. She's about 70 years old by that time. She was a remarkable speaker, could really draw the crowds. She was an atheist. And she actually kind of lived a little bit of a sad life. I mean, her first marriage failed before a year was out. And which is another mistake I think I have on this article uh, later on uh, on Goldman, but I'll go back and fix that. I knew I had a mistake in there somewhere, and it just flashed on it in my head. I'm not even looking at the other uh, article on Emma Goldman, but the fact is, is this idea of voting it is very clearly it doesn't work. I've watched this for half a century. I I was predicting who was going to win when I was like seven years old. Uh, Sometimes the one who won was opposite of what my father wanted to win. And I just walked in the room and looked at these guys talking on our little little tiny TV set. And I said, uh, he's the one that's going to (laughs) win. I was right. Every time there was an election where we could see him on the TV. When I was real little, we didn't have TV. But... 
I don't know how I guessed it. I just knew that's the one that was going to win. I didn't say I like that guy, but I just said that's the one that's going to win. Maybe because I, I grew up with TV and I knew what attracted people. I was always kind of a student of people. I used to watch old movies a lot. And my brother, uh, my oldest brother thought, he said, why do you watch these old movies? You know, they're not reality. And uh, I said, no, but they're what people think reality is. You know, when I would watch movies, even still to this day when I watch them, and, and because of that, some of my family does the same thing. When, when I'm watching the movie, I actually see the cameraman in my mind's eye behind the camera. <laughs> I see the lighting guys, and I see how they put the shadows in, and because that's part of telling the story. It's imagery. And a lot of people, they think the story is just words. And, and when you sit around the campfire and the old guys would tell stories, an art that's almost lost today, there was an art in that because he had to create the imagery with the words. But movies, they give you the imagery. And they're very powerful. And people are absolutely mesmerized. So we want to... We want to break those uh, bonds, too. Those bonds of images. Like you imagine that you're free. And you imagine that it's not your fault. That you're, that these bonds are binding you up. And that the problems in the world are somebody else's fault. No, they're your fault. And they're the fault of you all collectively. Because you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not doing what Christ said. And so you will not be free. And until you repent and do what Christ said to do, you won't be free. And this article will eventually point to that, or I will point to that at the end of this article, which we haven't even got into, and we're almost through with the first half hour of this show. But we're laying groundwork. And we're... We're showing you, I have a lot of times I'll start an idea and I won't finish it. I'm starting multiple rabbit trails. <laughs> and that rabbits always run around in a circle and come back to the same place. And it's kind of like one of those drawings where you see where they, they draw a, a circle and, and then they draw another one that's just like it, but it comes back to the same place. And another one that just like it and comes back and it's geometric. It's another image. And all these things keep coming back to the same place. And I can take your mind there, but I don't want to take your mind there. I want your mind to go where it's supposed to go and see what you're supposed to see on your own. I want to break, I want to iconoclastically break the patterns of your thinking that are keeping you bound. Because those images in your mind and the thoughts in your mind and the ideas None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who believe they are free. You are not free. And you'll never be free. You will always, because you're, you're not God. You didn't create yourself. You'll never be free, but you can choose which God you wish to worship and serve. Most of the gods, the gods many of the world that Paul talks about, they don't want you to be free. They want to control you. The, you know, the Nimrods, the Cains, the Lamechs, the evil pharaohs of the world. Even the Sauls and Rehoboams. They want to control you. And God wants to set you free, but you can't be free 
unless you seek His righteousness in all that you do, in all that you think. You can't do that because you have all these images and ideas in your mind that is keeping you from actually listening to God's still small voice talking in your heart. So we want to get it right up front that you're not free. You're subject to the state. You're subject to the state because you made choices. And other people made choices for you. And you let them make choices for you. I believe that if you are really listening to God, if you're really coming into this world with a humble heart, and who does that? You would have known what was right all along. But if you start doing what's right, if you start acting according to the sense of righteousness, and you're in school today, you will be put down. You will be ridiculed. You will be ostracized. You will be drugged. They'll have you on Ritalin before <laughs> before the day is out. And then they've got Prox, uh, uh, Luxol and Prozac. and I, I can't even keep track of all the different chemicals they're coming up with. I mean, it's Aldous, Huxley, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World already. But anyway, we'll start this article, but we won't get very far in it before we have to go to a break. But then we'll come back and take a look at it. But anyway, he starts off, live as if the state does not exist. And makes reference to Emma Goldman's quote, if voting changed anything, they'd make it illegal. So you want to know what does change things. But he goes on, there is something in that saying, isn't it? And so many generations have come and gone since the democratic experiment started and the only thing democracy has led to is more centralization of power and more moral decay in society. So don't vote. Don't debate. Don't waste your energy on politics because it only contributes to upholding the smoke and mirrors of the left-right political scale really is. That's... Well, we'll break from the article for a second. That's the dialectic. We've written articles about that. I've done programs about that dialectic. You can look it up on our websites and you'll probably... Uh, I probably don't have anything on that on the Preparing You site, but at His Holy Church, we have an art article about that. And what they do is they try to create opposing ideas so that everybody's arguing over here while they're pulling off what they're really doing over there. It's an old magician's trick. And it's, it's very effective. And you don't want that. And Miss Goldman was very subject to that. And so are many other people. But anyway, when we return, we'll really get hot and heavy into this article and see where it's taking us. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're talking about this article from somebody in Sweden. It's interesting that I think his website is actually stationed out of Switzerland. And it seems like he's gone other places. I got a hold of him and contacted him and had to do a little bit of searching around because the contact wasn't there on that article. We have links there at Preparing You that will take you to the different places to his own website which is actually in English 
So he's he supplied me what is better than the uh, Google translation of his website, <laughs> which is what I was using up till the time that I did get a hold of him and get his permission to republish this. But anyway, he starts off explaining that voting really isn't the solution and quoting Emma Goldman, just referring to her that something in the saying is true. But then he says, but don't vote, don't debate, don't waste energy on politics because it only contributes to upholding the smoke and mirrors that the left and right political scale really is. And he goes on to say, but if you can't make a difference through politics, what can you do to create a freer society? Well, you can... You can let your actions speak for themselves. So he's talking about being a doer of something. He says the trick is to live as if the state does not exist. Unfortunately, I can't remember from whom I first heard this. He says, what does that mean? It means to reduce and eliminate all dependency of the welfare state apparatus by taking care of yourself and your beloved ones. Solve your own problems within the family and the local community. Make sure you can still put food on the table or in your root cellar, even if you lose your job. For example, by starting up your own garden and plant a couple of fruit trees. Follow your own moral codes instead of the often immoral codes of the state. Create your own alternative means of payment to replace the counterfeit fiat currency of the state. Now, I think it's interesting. He calls it counterfeit fiat currency down in the uh, comment section. There's somebody who makes a reference that you shouldn't have said fiat currency, but you should say fiat currency, or at least that's what Google translated it as, and I think I lost something in the translation because that didn't make any sense, and so I left it out of the comment section, which I include, and that's only the Google translation. But fiat currency is not necessarily counterfeit. The state produces currency that may be fiat, may have no value, such as Federal Reserve notes. But that's not counterfeit. Those are real Federal Reserve notes that are fiat. That <laughs> have no value. <laughs> so you have to be careful how you use words. He goes on and trade services and favors with your neighbor instead of buying from others and thereby fueling the tax system. Now that's his opinion. You have to be careful of that because... Your labor in these countries belongs to the state. What you really need to make reference to that as uh, a gifting economy, where you just gift to somebody. You do favors for somebody. You help them out, and they either show appreciation or they don't. I've been doing that for years. I didn't look at it as a gifting economy. I just saw somebody had a need, and and offered them help. We actually have a major project going on, maybe right now, it depends on the choices that other people make. We're always big into giving people a choice. We see how the medical society is 
created a blood-sucking vampirial type of, uh, that's a new word I just invented, vampirial, (laughs) blood-sucking system that depletes the life savings of people until they have nothing left whatsoever, and then they can get on Medicaid. (laughs) Somebody who had worked all their life, saved up probably a couple hundred thousand dollars, and had some insurance for their spouse, life insurance for themselves, you know, which can be cashed in, which are not really good commodity items, but it's what people were doing back there in those days. But he was thinking of other people. He was thinking of providing for his family. He he didn't divorce his wife. He wasn't married three times. He stuck by his family. He took care of his kids and he raised his kids in accordance to what the social norms would require, but you could always see that he was going the extra mile. Could have been on disability easily when he was 30 years old and just collected checks for the rest of his life, but instead he worked every day until he was in his 70s, dragging himself around as as what was clearly a cripple, but still doing a full day's work and every chance he could. Even when he was retired from his own uh, ranching operation, I know that he went out and helped other ranchers driving tractors that he had to drag himself up onto in pain doing it often and would drive for them all day and charge them nothing. It was just in his nature to serve other people and other people's needs. And now he's disabled so that he can't walk. And the medical society is draining every bit of money that he's ever saved away. And so his son was looking, can we get on Medicaid? That's his thinking, you know. Because we're trained to think in that way, or most people are. We aren't in our family, but in their family, that's the way they were trained to think. And they said, well, no, you can't get that until you have nothing left. You can have no assets, no money left, and then, then we'll help and so he thinks, well, that's a fair one. Of course, they constantly say, well, you know, you can't get something for nothing. And so they have to become broke before they help be held. And that's reasonable, considering the nature of the system. But the reality is, is that's not true. You can get something for nothing. You see, if he had just divorced his wife any time he wanted and got married again and divorced her and didn't raise his children and didn't take care of their needs and uh, didn't provide for his neighbor and just went on disability and collected a disability check all his life and didn't build a business and didn't help child after child after child learn to work on a ranch because he has no grandchildren, but he has lots of people that have learned to work on his place and that he's helped over the years, that he has more friends than I can count. They had a like a... I think it was like an 80th birthday or or something for him years ago. And they had a big community hall down in the local town. And there was standing room only. I mean, it was packed. There were people that couldn't even get in the door. This guy had so many friends. Because he just led this life of service. But if he had been a bum all his life, government would be taking care of every single bill he has right now. <laughs> It would be paying it all for nothing, doing nothing, never contributed to society, always was a leech on society. He would be getting everything paid for. 
by the government. Do you think that has an effect on the outcome of what kind of society you're going to have? When that is the basic foundational moral driven precept of your society, be lazy, be a bum, do nothing, contribute nothing to society, we will pay all your bills. Be hardworking, industrious, you're on your own. You know, that's the message. Because that's the spirit that dwells in the society in which you created. Mr. West is thinking, no, we, we should be doing something else. I see also from his comments that he is a studier of history. He goes on to say here, after he says uh, trade services and favors, he goes on to say, prioritize local community instead of state-sanctioned trade. Assume responsibility of your personal security in your home and in your community through common sense, neighborhood watches, local militias. Also see the book Production of Security by Gustav Molinari. Well, I'll have to look that fellow up. I don't even know who that is. Now, you got to remember, this is somebody in Sweden writing this. He's talking about local militias. In Sweden. You know, Sweden's not a very big country. It's actually, we had somebody visiting here from Sweden not too long ago, and we were looking up, you know, what's the population of Sweden? It's, it's tiny. <laughs> I mean, the country's pretty big, but, you know, a lot of it gets kind of up there north and the population thins out. Most everybody in Sweden lives in a city, very concentrated, very socialistic, you know, and here's somebody who just born and raised in that environment, and he's starting to think, no, we we need to wean ourselves from that. goes on, lead the education of your children, no matter if they're stuck in a public school during the day or if you live in a country where homeschooling is legal. It's illegal in Sweden. Plan for your old age. Avoid debt. Don't expect any state pension. Make sure that you have productive and natural systems in place that can provide you and your future generation with food and shelter. Make yourself independent of state approval. Banks and central banks that enslave society by first creating money out of thin air and then demanding interest on the monopoly money. Yes, just as Swedes have lived for thousands of years, the term Swedes only existed for a couple of hundred years and appeared when power was centralized in these lands. He goes on, because when the state can no longer sustain itself, on the life force of society and trade, it will surely fall off as the leech it really is. Well, the reality is is that most of the people within society are leeches. When you, you read Goldman and some of her writings, she is so much against, you know, uh, capitalism even. She doesn't understand capitalism, but she's very much against capitalism. And there's nothing wrong with capitalism. Capitalism is just the private ownership of property. 
And the private ownership of property begins with the private private ownership of yourself. When you make something, when you know you never really own the land. The Indians are right. You never really own the land. But the Indians, a lot of the Indians, never really cultivated the land. Some of the Indians did. The Plains Indians didn't. The Plains Indians just wandered around. They had the horse. They could go anywhere they want and do anything they wanted. This gave them a tremendous power and control of their their destiny until somebody began to control their environment by killing off the buffalo. But the reality is is that if you go and cultivate a piece of land and you plant fruit trees on it and you plant a garden in it and you fertilize the soil with organic compost and you, you make something of it, now that land, that tract of land where you've been working contains your blood, your time, your life, your sweat, your toil. You put it in the land and it's proper that you have a limited or a unique access to that land. In other words, a limiting access to that land where others can't come and pick out of your fruit tree because your neighbor was sitting there lazy and he didn't want to plant fruit trees. He didn't want to haul tons of manure and compost and organic matter to make the soil fertile. He didn't want to plant the garden and weed the garden. But he wants to come and eat the vegetables out of the garden. Well, capitalism produced the garden. The private ownership. Dress it and keep it. Socialism stripped the garden like coons in the night, ravaging your labor. And so capitalism is good. Goldman complained to capitalism as if the fact that some men had become rich was a bad thing. It's not bad to be rich. Now, how you got to be rich, that may be bad. But being rich is not bad. Corporatism itself is not really bad. Corporatism is just two or more people gathered together as if they're one person under a pre-existing authority for a particular purpose. The family is the first corporate corporation. That's not bad. Being that unit, acting as one person for a particular purpose. So corporations themselves are not bad. So what makes it bad? Selfishism. <laughs> Another new word. That's what makes it bad. When you're selfish about it. When it's about you more than about anybody else. When it's about you as much as anybody else. Now we're talking about the anarchism of Christ. Because he was saying you had to love your neighbor as yourself. Which Moses had said before him. And which we see Abraham doing. Like, for instance, no, Abraham never said love thy neighbor as thyself. But he did with his actions. He saw disputes rising up between the people that worked on the family. The domestic servants and servants and family of Lot. He saw these disputes rising up in that small clan-type group with those that were in his household. And he saw that was not good. And his solution was that, you know, you can... Let's separate so that we don't have this fighting amongst us. If you want to go to the east, you can go to the east and I'll go to the west. If you want to go to the west... And then I'll go to the east so that we're separate. But you, you choose. And of course, Lot chose the better. But Abraham was willing to let 
him choose the better and take the less. He used to be greatest among you is to be servant. And that was a servant type choice. He was going to serve peace by giving the choice to somebody else. Giving choices to others is what freedom is all about. You cannot be free till you let others be free to choose. So, one of the things that you're doing when you divest yourself of the need of the state is not really the state that you're divesting yourself of the need of. Because the state has none. The state only has what it's taken away from your neighbor. So what you're really doing is divesting yourself of covetousness. You're going to say, I'm going to free my fellow citizens from my wanton desires for benefits. I'm not going to force my neighbor to educate my children. I'm not going to force my neighbor to take care of me in my old age in a government that's bankrupt. This is one of the things that went on in the in my conversations with Moshe and conversations with Jim, which I'll be bringing up. I've been recording those conversations and I'll be sharing them with you. Is the fact that they think that, well, we paid into Social Security. So we should have a right to take from it. Jim had a plan for to save Social Security, which is ridiculous. It was his plan wouldn't technically work and could never be implemented. It would be a violation of the Constitution, which is interesting because he's saying we have to return to constitutional government, but then the first solution he comes up with to save Social Security is a violation of the Constitution. What section of the Constitution? The one that says that you can't make any law impairing the obligation of contract. And the reality is those bonds, you know, when they were pilfering the Social Security and creating these separate bonds that they they make you think that because those are separate bonds and unique and all this stuff that these are just IOUs. Well, who always use what? <laughs> you, they're your IOUs signed for you by the guys you elected, the lawmakers you elected. You owe it. And he says, well, now we want, he wants to turn them into e-dollars and then, you know, at two to one and still fund Social Security with those e-dollars, which would double the money supply and create, create runaway inflation if you did that. But the fact is, is you guys owe those debts. You're surety for those debts. Those IOUs are what keeping you in bondage. He wants to use them to get more benefits, guarantee benefits that will be literally unfunded. I mean, it's it, you're 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 trying to shove the wrong pieces together. They don't fit. But anyway, we'll have to. I need a chalkboard to show you how that works, so you can get a grasp of it. But the point is, when you pay into Social Security, that's not money for you. That's not set aside for you. That's just fulfilling your obligation to your fellow man to take care of the needy of your society that can't work anymore. You know, the the indigent poor of society. Moses always talks about a means test. Well, they wrote up a means test. Did you know that if you were a heroin addict, you could just it would guarantee you'd get on uh, Social Security payments? Guaranteed. Just because you were a heroin addict. You wouldn't have to work anymore. 
You see, all I had to do back when I was 20 is shoot up with heroin, get diagnosed as a heroin addict, and then I could have been on Social Security. I wouldn't have had to work for the last 50, 60 years. <laughs> I could have just been permanently on Social Security. Or like I've known a number of people do, fake. Gulf War Syndrome, no, not Gulf War Syndrome, uh, what is it? Delayed Stress Syndrome. They faked it. They sat around plotting with another guy and then they created a whole episode and got sent into a psych ward and everything because he threw the supposedly fit, but then, then he got on Social Security. He didn't have to work anymore. He still worked for extra cash now and then, got a new truck the day he was guaranteed <laughs> that he was going to get his Social Security payments early. He'd been mostly living off of taking care of his grandkids. His, his One of his daughters were producing children by different men on a regular basis, and then he would take the custody of the kids, and he'd get a seven $800 check per kid and taking care of two or three kids at a time. That was bringing in a lot of extra cash for him. He was already playing the system before he even did that. And, and that was his plan. And... And you, your system creates that kind of sloth and avarice. I know one of those children has already gone to prison because that's the kind of stepfather he was. But this is the society that you're creating. What are you going to do about it? Anyway, we're running out of time here, and I didn't get all the way through the article. But we'll talk about it in the next show. And we'll see if we can make heads or tails out of what the Swedes are thinking. We'll even take a look at some of their comments. And then we'll ask you what you're thinking. <laughs> Until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're talking about living as if the state does not exist. Of course, it does exist, so we can't forget about it entirely, but we need to direct our lives in a different way and let our lives be 
directed by different principles, principles that Christ taught. And we were reading from an article by the title of Live as if the State Does Not Exist, written by a fellow in Sweden, Daniel West. And I just thought it was kind of interesting that in a country like Sweden, extremely socialist country, that these ideas are still being born in the minds and hearts of people that are seeing the product of socialism, seeing the dependence of men on socialism, seeing the effects of that dependence of men and women and families on socialism, and saying, we can't wait till somebody changes things. We have to change the way in which we do things and the way in which we relate to each other and to our families and to our community and even to the government. He's not one of these guys who are saying, oh, throw off the tyranny and, you know, uh, let's, uh, what was it, Haymarket uh, uh, event that, uh, that got uh, Miss Goldman in so much trouble. I mentioned Miss Goldman in the last show in this series, uh, Emma Goldman, who actually spent some time in jail because of her anarchy sympathies, uh, anarchist sympathies. And the reality is, is they got violent because their anarchism was the product of anger and resentment rather than love. This is a big difference. So if you start out trying to do some of these things suggested by West, what is the motivation of what you're doing? See, like capitalism, nothing wrong with capitalism. It has to do with the motivation that brings about your desire to own property. Nothing wrong with corporatism. It depends on the reason you're using these tools. Nothing wrong with a hammer. It's a tool. Nothing wrong with a gun. It's a tool. It has to do with your attitude, why you're picking it up, your intent. You can do something about that. You can't do something about all the other things that people want you to do something about that is just a fruitless dialectic of conflict and commotion. So anyway, he suggests things like taking care of yourself and, and your uh, beloved ones. Solve your own problem within the family and the local community. Make sure you can still put food on your table or in your root cellar. Plant your own garden. Plant fruit trees. I knew a guy down in Kansas, you know, you, in a regular subdivision, but you go into his yard and front yard, backyard, garden, strawberries, fruit trees, everything, raspberries. He didn't put in... You know, my father, I'm not saying anything against my father, but this is what was available at the time when he was landscaping his yard in Los Angeles. He put in a fruitless pear tree. And I said, what kind of tree is that? He says, a fruitless pear tree. And I said, what? (laughs) To me, it was just absolutely uh, unthinkable. Why on earth did somebody produce a fruitless pear tree? (laughs) Nothing more anti, you know, my, 
we did weren't immersed in the Bible, but uh, what happened to fruitful and multiply? I mean, you you got a tree; it's got shade. That's good. Birds can nest in it. That's good. But it was a fruit tree, and you turned it into a fruitless tree. <laughs> Only in Los Angeles, the birthplace of insanity. But anyway, uh, he goes on follow your own moral code. Well, I, I, I think everybody does anyway. But the reality is, check your moral code. What will be the products of your moral code? Is your moral code born out of love for one another, or is it born out of anger? Goldman had a moral code that included assassinating rich men, which was, you know, the haymaker whole thing was it was a haymarket incident back in the late 1800s. He was in Chicago, and uh, there were workers out there giving their speeches, trying to get fair wages. I think at that time they were trying to get uh, legislated an eight-hour workday either legislated or forced the uh, corporation, the, the big companies, into providing an eight-hour workday. And during the course of this, policemen came to start breaking up the crowds, and somebody threw a homemade dynamite bomb at these big round deals you see in the cartoons, but it actually had a kind of a long, hard fuse on it, but anyway, through the, at the police. I think more police died than almost anybody. Of course, there were people arrested and the emotions ran high. And I think there were seven people sentenced to death. Uh, some of them, their sentences were commuted and some people were eventually pardoned because of the questionable way in which they were conducting the trial. But anyway, the point is, is they moved violence. Why? Because they're their moral code didn't exclude hate and anger. They wanted to resist evil with evil. And that's, of course, how tyranny gets its power because that's part of the dialectic. You don't want to be a part of the dialectic. You want to be completely out of that formula entirely. And, of course, that's what Christ was showing us. And that's where we're going to eventually go and show you how you would check your moral code against the moral codes of men like Christ who is not unlike Buddha who is not unlike Abraham who is not unlike Moses and the similarities of these people are amazing you know Buddha wasn't starting a religion he didn't think of himself as a god and told people not to worship him as a god last thing in the world he wanted to do was have people make statues of him especially fat statues of him <laughs> I don't know if he was heavy or not. I suspect that he wasn't all that heavy, but the reality was he was a social reformer because he had a moral code. And somebody else turned it into one of these mindless religions, just like they've done with Christianity. That Where they moved threskia, which is the Greek word for religion, to the word superstitio. And so, the, you know, Goldman was terribly against religion. But she was using a definition of religion that was not the original definition of the word. The word has fluctuated back and forth. And we'll talk about that later. But anyway, so you have to check your moral code against moral codes that have successfully produced freedom in the past, which was love thy neighbor as thyself, 
which was the moral code of Moses and Jesus Christ and John the Baptist and Abraham, create your own alternative means of payment. Don't always think about payment. Create a, a charitable economy. Now, of course, you can't have an entire economy as a charitable economy. There has to be some exchange. But if you don't have charity in your economy, your moral code's going to be off, your motivation's going to be off, your intent's going to be off, and therefore the product of your efforts will be off. And of course, religion is simply taking care of your duties to your fellow man by charity, by faith, hope, and charity, by the perfect law of liberty, which takes it out of the commercial realm. And so you want to develop that as a part of your economy. Because, you know, if you were really free people in a free society, you would have such an abundance. You wouldn't be taxed, like we talked in the first session, 70% of your labor would go to somebody else for redistribution by his will. That's tremendous power. If he has power over 8 million Swedes, they have tremendous power because they got 70% of your productive capacity. They can manipulate things beyond your imagination. And of course, it's actually more if you have sales tax too and property tax too and so your tax burden is huge. If all that were to go away, you would be able to be very fruitful and productive. You would not be free. You would just have the freedom of choice. You see, you're not really free. You still are subject to gravity. You're still subject to the winter. When the winter comes, it's going to get cold. You're still going to be subject to the cold. But you're going to have the choice of putting up your wood. When the food runs out, you'll still be subject to hunger. If you want to be free from the repercussions of reality, that's not going to happen. And of course, your desire to be re set free from the repercussions of reality is what brought you into bondage. You didn't want to have to worry about cutting your firewood so you joined a socialist state where somebody else would have to cut your firewood. You don't have to worry about keeping food on the table so you joined a socialist state. They tried socialism in America in Plymouth and Jamestown and people starved every year because there was no backup resources to keep them from starvation. And that cured them of socialism. Now we've gone back to socialism and we appeared like we will never starve. But we were on the brink of it at any time. I gave examples of the fact that, you know, in, the, in 500 A.D., I don't know what it was like in Sweden in 500 A.D., but there was no summer in Europe. And so it, was, it had to have been dang cold in Sweden. <laughs> I don't know how many people were living in Sweden at the time, but uh, no crops. Most crops didn't succeed. If that happened today, there is no food in the pipeline to sustain us for a year. And this happened all around the world. 80% of some provinces in China, they starved to death because there was no crop that year. And the, the next year wasn't much better. And they didn't recover for almost a decade. And all this was was probably volcanic eruptions, several locations, and it cooled the planet. And there was, you know, no crops. 
the Midwest and America has been hit by a number of snowstorms, but we've actually had extremely mild weather here. The reality is they'll probably have a summer this year. It's just simply the jet stream was arcing about quite more than normal. But you could have an event where crops fail around the world and we have no surplus around the world. Certain governments have put up huge surpluses. But, you know, I don't think they love you as much as you think they do. (laughs) You may not get your share of that. But anyway, so he talks about growing your own gardens, growing your own fruit trees, having a root cellar. Follow your own moral code, as I said, uh, but check that moral code against the codes that worked in the past because the Christians thrived during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Create your own alternative means of payment, but also, I say, develop a system of charity. Trade services for favors. Trade favors for services. Help one another. Develop the love of neighbor. Assume responsibility for your personal security in your homes, in your communities. That means networking, communicating on a local basis, but not merely a local basis, on an international basis, on a national and international basis. And that's what we're doing at thelivingnetwork.org. We're very small, but we're expanding out on uh, developing a radio, uh, amateur radio communications network. If you want to be a part of that, go to thelivingnetwork.org, join the network, and ask about it. We have people that will help train you and teach you what you need to know and what you need to get, and we'll converse with you on the subject. And what will they charge? They want you to be able to do the same with others and to learn to start to communicate one with another. There are lots of networks already out there in the world where people are networking. We just have to bring the intent of Christ to those networks and we will find these souls. This is what this article is really about. Is that here you have somebody way over in Sweden who's beginning to think kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. He even has an article. I haven't read it yet. He has an article on the kingdom of God. I think he'll find some of our writings remarkable. Eventually we'll send him a recording of this show. I didn't get a chance to tell him I was going to be talking about his article today. <laughs> But I haven't even announced to our own groups where the article is. Plan for your old age, but also start taking care of the elderly and the people in your community. He talks about homeschooling, which is illegal in his country, but you can still start doing it. Take charge of the education of your family. Yes, just as Swedes have lived for thousands of years, that's what he wants you to go back to. The ways of the ancient. They talk about that in the Bible. Returning to the ways of the ancients. Because when the state can no longer sustain itself like Rome fell, like Greece fell, like Babylon fell, on the life force of society, which is what it depends on. It's this. It's the leech state. The vampire empire. Where it's feeding on all those hard-working, industrious people. And draining the life out of them. Not because they love the poor, but they want to drain the life out of you. They want to take your life away. They want to keep you weak and incapable of questioning their authority. 
And we show you how they gain that authority. So you need it. There's a twofold process here. Two steps that were see that you are in bondage. See that you, you have gone into this state by covenanting and coveting your neighbor's goods. Covenanting with men who exercise authority to provide you with your needs. You yourself have been trapped under authority. I could show you several places in the Old Testament to talk about that, and many places in the New Testament that talk about that. Sitting and eating with a ruler. And he's saying, start preparing your own meals. He says, but now the fact is that many of us reading this live in Sweden. And now in America, some are hearing about it. And under Swedish regime, it can be hard to live as if the state does not exist, considering that they steal 70% of the average family income in the form of taxes and exert a totalitarian control over society and above all over your children. Now, I beg to differ with one word here, steal. They take it by force. But it's not stealing because everybody has signed up for the benefit. They themselves are consumed. As it talks about in Proverbs, the common purse runs towards evil. Though the net is spread before the bird, he's trapped in the system himself. So they're not really stealing it. This is a product of the covetous nature of mankind. He's coveted his neighbor's goods and now his neighbor is coveting his goods. But what would happen, he says, if more and more people in Sweden completely ignored the welfare state apparatus and started to solve their own problems within the family and within the local communities. This is the message we've been talking about for years now at His Holy Church. This is what the early Christians were doing. What would happen if people made themselves more and more independent from the state by gathering together? How did they do it in Sweden many, many years before? Clans, he talks about that. Actually, they used the tens, hundreds, and thousands that we see the Teutons doing, we see early Israel doing, we see being done by the Issacs and Issaxons and, and the Saxons of England eventually. And families get together and commit themselves to taking care of one another by free will offerings. They realize that they don't want to be a burden to these other nine families. And so everybody tries to do for themselves, but they become bands of brothers. This is the way you do it. And this is how the early church was organized, which is why you see that pattern throughout Christianity for almost a thousand years, now stamped out by a hundred years of inquisitions and, and a thousand years of the reign of central authorities. He talks in his footnotes, or not his footnotes, but in his comments about 1100, Sweden began to become more centralized. Same thing was going on in Germany. Same thing was going on in France. Same thing was going on in Italy. Same thing was going on over William the Conqueror, 1066. The Bullion, Stefan, all these guys. The beast was unchained again. And the central authority became the way of the world. And of course there was resistance and they, they talk about putting down these rebellions. These rebellions were freedom fighters. 
trying to resist this authority. So what chance do we have today? Well, the chance we will have is the system will collapse. The problem is we're not ready for the system collapsing. We are heavily dependent. We have been come, we have become leeches of the master leech. We are the parasites of parasites. And what he's saying is repent. Turn around. Let's go the other way. This is what Christ was saying. The Corbin of the Pharisees, which was the social welfare system of the Pharisees, made the Word of God to none effect. Because you weren't going to be taking care of your father and your mother and your family and your neighbors. You didn't have to do it anymore. It was done through the temple, through the welfare state. Rome had a Corbin too. It had gone that way. It used to be by free will offerings and in control to the tens, hundreds, and thousands that they were organized in. But then it became a central state. And you look to them for your free bread and circuses. We've done the same. We are going the ways of Rome. Whether you're in Sweden or England or America or wherever, or Canada, Australia, or even in China, you're going the ways of Rome. It's time to repent. And go the other way. And that's what this article is really about. Although he doesn't use the word repent. What would happen if the people made themselves more and more independent of the state? Because the state needs people to be dependent on it. It is not far-fetched that it will fight with tooth and nail against the increased freedom that these people create. Which is, of course... Why homeschooling is outlawed in Sweden and in Germany and many of those other states and they are trying to outlaw it in America. They are trying to do that and they want to do that because they are resisting that. They do not want, as Germany says, a parallel society. One free with one that's not free. That wouldn't look good. This is why Christians were persecuted, as they were that parallel society. They didn't eat of the free bread of Rome. This is, you go read Justin, and I'll put a link here to what Justin was saying, Justin the Martyr, 160 AD. I noticed that somewhere in one of Mr. West's articles, he probably didn't like me calling him Mr. West, I don't know, Daniel West, One of his uh, articles, I think he was quoting Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius had the worst human rights record for persecuting Christians. But yet, if you read the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, they're really good. And the quote he uh, included from Marcus Aurelius was, you know, a legitimately good quote. Just as his quote from uh, Miss Goodman was a legitimately good quote. But there were some other problems. You know, I quote people all the time that I don't think knew the answer. But, you know, it's kind of the infinite monkey story. that (laughs) If you say enough, eventually you're going to say something that's brilliant. (laughs) And I'm still working on that. But (laughs) the reality is, why did Marcus hate Christians so much? I mean, if Romans 13 meant what it meant, or what they tell us it meant, Christians should have been loved by men like Marcus Aurelius, but he hated them. Why? Because they were non-participators. 
They feared the Christians. If you're reading uh, Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, they feared the union and discipline of the Christians. What was that union and discipline? They took care of all their social welfare through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They didn't need to depend on the state. When Christianity was finally outlawed, it was only outlawed because they outlawed foreign religions. What did they mean by foreign religions? People who did not depend upon the state religion. What was the state religion? It was its social welfare system because religion is how you take care of your duty to your fellow man. It's how you take care of the needy of your society. Now, if we were taking care of the needy of our society, we would be helping those down on their luck, but not necessarily broke, who are in a hospital or in need of hospital-like care. They could be at home and receiving that hospital-like care. But we would be taking care of them and devoting a lot of energy to them. We might be helping some of the other guys who didn't work as hard, not the deserving poor, but we would only be giving them bread and water. We wouldn't be rewarding them for their sloth. And that's what we need to start doing and start seeing. That we are not to take away the repercussions of righteousness or unrighteousness. And we'll talk more about that when we come back in a moment. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And we're talking about... Uh, some life-changing ideas. One of the quotes I'm going to throw out right now, I'm about to send it off to our network who've been discussing uh, titling certain things by certain names and and how people perceive. And when we talked at the beginning of this, this series, we talked about this iconoclastic bondage-breaking approach. And one of the things that we are ruled by is words. You know, and none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who believe they are free. You know, you keep using that word freedom. I do not think it means what you think it means. Augustus Caesar was sensible that mankind is governed by names, by words. Nor was he deceived in his expectation that the Senate and people would submit to slavery, provided they were respectfully assured that they still enjoyed their ancient freedom. That, of course, is what he was doing in order to make people believe that they were still enjoying their ancient freedoms. You had to redefine history. And, of course, that's what public schools have been able to implement is a redefinition of history. We have to take a look back in time, that's one of the things why we write so much about history is bringing up what was done in the past and how that operated and how that operated. And when when people changed the way in which they related to each other and to government, what happened to society? It decayed. It became weak. Or if they changed back again, it became strong and independent and survived cataclysms of both geo and political as well as geological cataclysm. They were able to survive and endure 
because of the way they had already changed in their hearts and their minds. And the fact is, if you tried to live by righteousness and by virtue, this will change you. Because it changes not so much the landscape, but the way in which you relate to the landscape. And that's what we need to do. So when he writes in his article, because the state needs to be dependent on it. It needs people to be dependent upon it. It's not far-fetched that it will fight you tooth and nail when you try to become independent of it. And of course, I gave the example it's already doing that by outlawing homeschooling in Sweden, in Germany, and a lot of other places, or making it more and more difficult in many, many places. It talks about when states, or when the state kidnaps your children because you can give them a better education than the public school systems that only manage to dumb them down. When the state fights you because you refuse to admit its legitimacy or play along in its pyramid scheme called the welfare state. When the state dies a slow death because Swedes no longer need it, then freedom is not far off. But then he ends it with the interesting phrase, or what do you think? Because really, he you can see that he's pondering these questions. He's bringing these concepts up. He's read something about history. He looks at his society and he sees a moral and personal breakdown of society. And he's a young fellow. I've watched it for over half a century and more. The breakdown in society. What what was totally unacceptable back when I was growing up. Nobody would have put up with what they put up today in the airports when I was growing up. Simply, nobody's going to be putting their hands on your teenage daughter. No one's going to be frisking your wife. No one was going to be able to do that. That was just unthinkable. That would be was it TSA? <laughs> Guys with bloody noses everywhere <laughs> in Texas. But it's okay now. It's okay now. What they teach in schools, absolutely unacceptable. But, you know, what are we going to do? We can't teach our kids at home. Why not? Well, I mean, you couldn't do that. Well, people do it. They do? The kids are probably socially retarded. No, they're not. They're actually more adjusted than the kids in schools. Kids in schools are raised in single-age education, which makes them so they're only really capable of talking to other kids their age. And usually only the bigger the school, the more select the group will be. You know, there'll be the, you know, we saw this uh, years ago developing in England where you had the rockers and the, what is it, the rockers and the mod, uh, the greasers and the, the beagles. <laughs> you know, they actually divided even amongst the youth of the same age into different groups. And now that's magnified even more in society. That people belong to these little denominational groups within the, the school. And so that they're, they're more socially retarded, more ripe for gang activities because they weren't raised in good homes. And what happens is people don't even know what a good home is anymore. They don't even know what family is anymore. 
I mean, most people are being raised in single-parent families because divorce is okay now. You know, it used to be the divorce was kind of a... You know, I mean, there were times when somebody needed to get a divorce because the guy was beating his wife to death or whatever it was. And I understand that. But, you know, that's what brothers and uncles are for. Straighten a guy out. But the reality is, is that we don't do that. We don't care about our neighbor anymore. We don't care about our brothers and sisters, even our actual physical brothers and sisters anymore. We don't care for each other because we don't have to do it because the state does it. This has changed the whole landscape of society and will produce a different kind of person. This is what Goldman couldn't figure out. When I created a page on, at the Preparing You site and told you a little bit about Goldman, I put in there commentaries about Goldman. Just as I put commentaries in this article, here are my comments. And I write, and this is the first time I've read it, so it's probably got all kinds of typos in it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> tell you the truth, this is the first time I've really read all the way through Daniel West's article. I skimmed it. I don't have time to read all the way through these things. And I copied it, and after I Googled it, and then I wrote him, and then he wrote me back, and he, then he sent me a copy that he translated, that he said was better than the Google one, and so then I changed that. And I just don't have time to go through this. But I could tell in a few words that the spirit of this individual was very kingdom-oriented, what we call kingdom-oriented. This is our terms. That something's teaching him in his heart and in his mind. He's seen what is very uncommon to see. I'm amazed that Either the comments to his article were filtered or or he's... Well, of course, it was written on a Mises uh, website. So you're going to find a little bit more open thinkers on the Mises website. You know, he's an economist, uh, I think originally from Austria. But you'll find more thinkers on, on, on websites like that. But anyway, a good place to go and preach the kingdom. But anyway, in my comments I write, this, of course, is what the Christians had to do when they chose to follow Christ. At the exodus of Pentecost, you know, where thousands were getting the baptism of Jesus Christ instead of the baptism of Herod, is proved vital to, the, uh, to them in the fall of Jerusalem when Christians walked out past the armies of Titus with nothing. In other words, when they had to flee Jerusalem, they had to leave behind their money, their clothes, everything they owned, their property, everything was stripped from them. I mean, they walked out with the clothes on their back, but they couldn't, they couldn't, anything of value, they couldn't take with them. Because the, the Jews that were in this revolt, this angry group, this unforgiving group, this group that had been created by the welfare state was all about what they could get and they weren't going to let you take anything with them. You could go because they wouldn't have to feed you. But you had to leave everything behind. And Christians were able to walk out because they had built a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands all across the Roman Empire and beyond that would receive them and they would begin to apply their Christianity, their independence somewhere else because they hadn't just isolated themselves in their little family and then their little community but had 
thought of the kingdom thinking. They weren't just congregationalists. They were thinking kingdom. And those in Sweden should join our network at thelivingnetwork.org. We need people that cover Europe. It sounds like Daniel would be a good candidate for that because he evidently has ties over other parts of Europe as well If he, because his website, like I said, is in Switzerland or at least connected to that from what I can tell from the abbreviations. And he can speak English well and he evidently knows how to speak the Swedish language. But anyway, uh, Christians chose leaders in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands at Pentecost like they had done in ancient times. This is what this Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover, this is what you were doing as you were organizing in these tens, hundreds, and thousands because you no longer had the authoritarian state to provide you with your leeks and onions, your benefits, your straw. You had to provide it yourselves through free will offerings. You had to take care of one another in pure religion without the constitutional orders and systems of the world. And in where I wrote this, there will be links to other articles so that you can understand the vocabulary of what we're talking about. Those leaders were instrumental in facilitating the benefits of society because there is a benefit in society. As benefactors, they were benefactors. The ministers that they chose were the benefactors of society, but they had to be those benefactors without exercising authority one over the other. In other words, they didn't force the tax as other nations were doing in Jesus because Jesus said you are not to be like the other nations who do that. You know, like Herod's system of social welfare called Corbin or or Augustus Caesar's system of social welfare called Corbin. Jesus did not allow that and in fact told his ministers the people were to have the right to choose what they would give and what they would not give. We were not to be like the servant in Matthew 18.28, but the steward in Luke 16.1. So what was going on in Matthew 18.28? In Matthew 18.28, it says Matthew 18.28, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him, by the throat, saying, Pay me. He's acting like the IRS agents. Pay me that thou owest. And the fellow servants fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me. He wanted an extension. I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. This was his attitude, and this was after he had been forgiven debt. And Jesus said, we can't be like that. But that's the way the system is. The systems that we have created for ourselves, they are not forgiving of debt. But Jesus tells another parable of a steward that we see in Luke 16.1. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account 
of thy stewardship, that thou mayest uh, be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself that, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig uh, to beg. I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their house. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto him first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And then he said to another, and he did the same over and over again. And he did the same. And and he was praised for this. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of his world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make to yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when he fail, they may receive you in everlasting habitations. This was this economy of charity he's talking about. What is the unrighteous mammon? The friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. That's the system you're in. Mammon is entrusted wealth. You've all entrusted your wealth, your labor, your lands, Everything you have, you've entrusted to the unrighteous mammon, the mammon of force, forcing your neighbors to contribute into this unrighteous treasury. Or thieves and robbers have broken in and eaten it up, and there is no more. But he says, make yourself friends with it, and make yourself friends with your neighbors. Start helping one another. Go the extra mile to help one another. Start homeschooling. Even if it's illegal in your country, after school, take back the minds of your children. If it's not illegal in your country yet, gather together to prevent it from becoming illegal. Get more people involved in it. Children who go to home school are 30% higher scorers on tests. Now, I can't say that for sure on the, uh, the new core curriculum. <laughs> But train your children to give the right answer at core curriculum uh, tests too, <laughs> because that's how, that, that's I, I'm not I wouldn't be surprised if that's the intent partly of the core curriculum is to get uh, the uh, homeschoolers to score lower when they're tested, because they've started testing kids in school for the core curriculum and they haven't introduced the curriculum yet and they're all failing. <laughs> So if you haven't seen the curriculum, even though you may know the material, you will not succeed at the test. So you homeschoolers, be wise as the serpents, but as harmless as doves. So teach your children how to pass core tests as well as know what you're talking about. Show them the ways of the serpents. But you yourself live the ways of Christ. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in the much. So the tax protester who refuses to pay his taxes, who hasn't learned the ways of charity, is probably not going to be an asset to your community. He goes on to say, If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches?
the true riches are are our children and our children's children, yet unborn. This is the riches of society. And all these systems that have broken down the family, like Miss Goldman was doing with her plan. She saw a lot of the injustices and she talked about them and she was right about many of the things that she said, but she was encouraging the breakdown of the family. She wanted to be loved, but she didn't know what that looked like. She hadn't learned it in her family. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. So if you serve God, you will be seeking righteous ways to live as if there is no state, but as if there is a God, and not be caught up in the rituals and superstitions of religion, but in the righteousness. That's what Jesus said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. There was another parable that He gave us in Luke 7.41. And we should look at that. Luke 7.41, it says, A certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, He frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered, I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And this, of course, was the scene where the woman came in and washed Jesus' feet, who supposedly had all these sins. And that's another whole story. But anyway, we go on and I talk about uh, Christ preached to government with a moral code of love and sacrifice for the sake of righteousness. It had no flag, no forced taxes, no leaders who exercised authority one over the other, but its union and discipline was praised by historians and feared by Roman emperors like Marcus Aurelius, who called it a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire, at least the historians like Gibbons did. Why did Marcus Aurelius fear the Christians so much? Why did he detest them so much and yet had such good philosophies in, that you read in his meditations of Marcus Aurelius? Christians wouldn't get birth certificates. And he made it a law that you had to get a birth certificate within, I think it was within 30 days of the birth of the child. In the United States, you have to get one within five days. And he made that law and they wouldn't do it. Why? Because the reason you get a birth certificate is to get the benefits to know when you're entitled to the benefits and who's entitled to the benefits. Free school, free WIC, free welfare, home care, all those kinds of things that you get from your father, the state. They wouldn't go get it. They do today, but those are modern Christians. And we talk about that too. I have a link to what a modern Christian is. Christ was literally the beloved anarchist. And I have a link to our our topic on this. How did the kingdom operate? How did it function? How did they survive the decline and fall of the Roman Empire? Uh, men like Daniel West and those who like what Daniel West had to say 
they should find out what they were doing and do that. And they will find out that it is much the ways of the ancient Swedes and the ancient Gauls and the ancient Teutons. And it is the way of Christ and the early church. And it's what we're trying to do here and on thelivingnetwork.org. Until we meet there, peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.